This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show! What do you mean an error occurred on Periscope? I don't know. I just heard the Periscope whistle on my phone, so I know we're live. Woo, we're live. We're live except for Periscope. Okay. All right. So I'm going to assume we're live on YouTube. So welcome. Welcome. Best of the rest. Come on, Jay. I need my announcer voice. You're letting me down here. We got a guest tonight. Welcome to Best of the Rest. As usual, Jay and Dennis, but we have a guest tonight, Eric from Cowabunga Comics. Hello, I will be the rest tonight. You guys can be the best. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, we got a long way to go to that to be the best, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we could call ourselves mediocre of the rest. Like mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> how about how about randomly on weekday, randomly on weekday nights of the rest? Yeah. There you go. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I don't know. My 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 work schedule, the new dog and everything has just been it just my I have no schedule. Oh well, yes, I have a schedule. It just revolves around all that. Yep. So anyway, I am gonna try Fair to sit enough. here and fix some of these uh technical difficulties with the periscope. I must and uh I will participate in the conversation, but you know. Lead on, Jay. Okay. Well, glad you're with us, Eric. We really are. And always a good chance. Thanks. Enjoy getting a chance to talk with you. So I kind of wanted to start out, you know, of course, we know all about the shutdown and of Diamond and how it affected. But how, without giving numbers, I don't, of course, I don't want any financial numbers, but kind of how, what effect did the COVID shutdown have on Cowabunga? Uh it kind of hit us in a couple of different ways and um, it's interesting to, to talk about it when you're step back and look, because when you're going through it day by day, obviously the focus is always keep the business moving, uh, maintain some level of profitability, uh, you know, those kinds of things. But when you stop and you think about the fact that the store was closed for us, it was closed for about seven weeks where we couldn't have anyone physically in the store. Um, and then you layer layer on top of that the fact that you've got um, you know your distributor shut down, so you're not getting any new product. And it wasn't just the comics distributor uh, Diamond; it was also our distributors that handle things like Wizards of the Coast, so our Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, Pokemon USA, um, basically everything. Uh, supplies, uh, the supply chain for bags, boards, card top loaders, uh, comic top loader, all of that stuff coming from China was completely disrupted. So. It, it really threw wrenches into a lot of our normally normally scheduled events. But what it forced us to do, or maybe I guess the better way of saying it is what it gave us the opportunity to do, was go and attack some things that had um, just didn't have time to do. So when you're getting your comics every week and you're getting sale, um, you know, the sale racks prepped, you're buying collections uh, for us with mail order, you're packaging up and shipping out, you don't have as much time to 
go really deep into your back room, right? You're going to grab the stuff in a collection that you know is a key wall book. You're going to grab things like your Amazing Spider-Mans, your Batmans, your X-Men, things you know are going to go out of the back issue bin. And a lot of the time, the rest of it kind of sits in the back. And so what COVID shutdown gave us was an opportunity to really go into the back and pull things out. Um, we did spin up a real quick and dirty um, shopping page. We were able to put some product on, um, mostly newer stuff, just as a way for, for people to have something to choose as an option. Um, we had trades. We kind of ran a six for 30 trade deal, um, stuff like that. But the bulk of what we found in the back that we were putting up for sale online, we did through eBay. And it actually turned out to be um, – very fruitful and rewarding. I, I don't think at the pace that we were going with eBay, we probably wouldn't have been able to sustain it for more than a year uh, just because we have to maintain and knowing that things resumed. But for those seven weeks that we couldn't have anyone in the store, um, and even the couple of weeks beyond that, that Diamond wasn't shipping, we maintained a pretty good sales pace um, to the point where we are close to parity with last year's sales a little bit behind, but close to parity, which is actually quite impressive when you consider we still are unable to run any in-store gaming. And that's not a state thing that is, uh, and we're from Wisconsin, so our, our governor's got certain rules out there, but that's actually from Wizards of the Coast and Pokemon USA. We're not allowed to hold sanctioned gaming events, um, at least for the foreseeable future, because the risk of COVID is too high and they, uh, they don't want their product to be associated with the COVID spread. Um, some stores are having non-sanctioned gaming. We are not willing to take that risk right now. So, um, but yeah, it, it, the COVID shutdown definitely was um, an interesting experience, um, but it, it also reinforced a few things for us. It reinforced that um, we need to force ourselves to take better care of going through certain in our back room, um, try and process our collections more thoroughly. I mean, we do a good job. We get the bulk of stuff out, but you just you always have that 20% that goes back there. Uh, and then it also reinforced that we we need to officially get our mail order online website up and running 100%. Um, so that's been a huge focus for the last three months. Uh, we've engaged a company to help us with that, and we're getting close. So, um, so yeah, all in all, it was different, but we're we're stronger for it, I think, and we didn't lose as much ground as some of our peers um, or competitors did. Well, I found that go. interesting. I didn't realize that would affect like bags, boards, top loaders, mm -hmm. and, and all of that. Um, yeah, the supply stuff is still an absolute train wreck. Um, you can place orders for stuff, and it may not come for five, six weeks because everything's just been held up. Most all supplies are... Um, pretty much made in China. The the only supplies that we've been able to get at a regular pace, and even then it's still a slow pace, is eGerber, so the Mylites, the Mylar products, um, fullbacks and halfbacks, but most people don't want to pay uh, that price for those supplies. They Most people just want like your BCW or Ultra Pro bags and boards, and those have been a struggle to, um, to keep in stock, so we're ordering more frequently, um, just kind of squirreling away a little bit, hoping that things resume but if they don't we'll have a net to fall on oh i do say i do like some silver age books and a my light mm -hmm. I, they make the my colors lights. pop yeah I, you know what what is that why do my lights make the is it is it diffracting the light is it amplifying the light 
I couldn't tell you the science behind it other than it makes them look pretty. <laughs> I know They're, they are beautiful in my lights, and I guess yep. that's the that's the secret to a con. Put all your uh, wall books in my lights. That's what we do in our store uh, predominantly. So especially our higher priced books, they always go in my light for reasons. One, um, they show much better. And number two, the MyLite is a much more archival type of supply. So uh, generally, if you're buying a product that you're paying one, two, three hundred dollars for, uh, the idea of putting it in a cheap bag and board that you're going to have to replace after four or five years potentially isn't as appealing. So we'll put it in a higher quality uh, bag and board and, and then it's, you know, a lot better. Wait a second. You said replace after four or five years. So you mean my comics that I put in bags and boards 20 years ago that I haven't changed out are doomed? Um, <laughs> not doomed per se. Uh, what you'll probably notice a couple of things will happen is you look at the front of one of those bags and the, it could start to be really ripply. Um, and the other thing is you can get bags that stick together because the plastic on them is not, it's not archival plastic. It's just kind of an open pore plastic. So you can notice that you can recognize it. Most collectors, it doesn't bother. It doesn't make a difference. They really just want it to be with the board, keeping it firm and, you know, straight. So it's not as big of a deal, but if you're talking, you know, pretty pricey books, I would definitely spend the money and invest in some, some Mylars um, to just keep them a little bit more secure. Yeah. I've got a few that I kind of reserve for those special books. Mm-hmm. I know. I, t- I tell you one of the things I found. I think Jay and I've had that discussion with storage. As you can see behind me, I have a few long boxes. Uh, is is that the only option out there that you know of? Is like either cardboard long boxes or those plastic long boxes. It's you know I really want. I'm really tempted to do something with some plastic totes, but they outgas and you don't want those on your books. But yeah, I need a um, I need a better mass storage. I tell you though, the thing with totes is is uh, they're very unwieldy and hard to carry when you put any sort of volume in them, um, and the plastic snaps a lot. Uh, we get a lot of things in totes that the totes are just destroyed. Um, the other thing that a lot of people I see start to shift to is um, one of a couple options. Uh, one of them is just getting simple things like Billy bookcases from IKEA, like what's behind me. Oops that way um and literally standing their comics up like library books in them and then putting little out dividers that tell you what series volume you're in that's one thing that i'm noticing a lot of people starting to do um another thing is uh using different kinds of file cabinets um so there's the tall you know multi uh, drawer units where you can fit um, usually two rows of comics um, in them and then you've got the nice pull out drawer or there's the shorter i think they're like doctor's office style where you've got the two bigger uh, drawers that pull out. I actually see a lot of comic stores starting to go to those where they'll put um, a number of those drawers together and then lay long boxes on the top for their back issue bins. And those drawers can hold a lot of weight. So they're, they're definitely, um, you know, they're built to handle that. So, hey, I just noticed I was actually in the private chat and I didn't notice that people were chatting in there. So that's why I'm just all of a sudden now doing some of the chat stuff. So, uh, Right. Welcome to the chat, everybody tonight. <laughs> this is Craig, who's actually Dewan. I don't know why he's got Craig on his name, but it's why. Well, you know that's. <laughs> hey, we won't go into those. What happens at C two E two stays at C two E two. Right. <laughs> well, he what was it? Was some sort of like comic witness protection thing. <laughs> he did say he's recently switched to Cowabunga, and he's impressed. Well, of course he is. I mean, thank you. Thank can't you. be anything but impressed with Cowabunga. So 
Well, you see, the thing is, though, you got to see it. You got to see it live in person. There you go. <laughs> oh, well, that is an ultimate goal. Well, there you go. So uh, I think, yeah, we've actually added that to our annual trek, which we hope is not in jeopardy this in 2021 of, you know, leaving a day early, swinging by Wisconsin on our way to Chicago. Get yes. some cheese curds and have some fun discussion over some good beer while we discuss recent searches for comics. And then obviously, yeah, you guys usually come up and spend a good couple hours in the store. And um, it, the, the invitation is open to anyone, really, especially if you're from out of town. If you let us know you're from out of town and you're coming, um, you know, we're happy to roll out. It may not always be read, but we'll engage you and take you around and let you know what's going on and, and share share Cowbunga and share Wisconsin with you. Well, I guess you're kind of going to do that with some with your online store that's coming out soon. So, so uh, we're, um, we're going to push hard with that for sure. So does that mean everything in the store is going to be on the website or are you going to, is it going to be the stores, one inventory, the websites, another inventory, it's slightly mixed. Cause that's going to be a job trying to get everything up there. And the only reason I say that is because every time I go there, I just love standing up by the register and looking up and seeing all those absolutes <laughs> and artist editions and everything on the wall up there and just drooling. And so one of these, you know, I just find it'd be more if the nights when I'm sitting here doing this, I might order a few more if they're, they're actually there on the, on the digital store. <laughs> well, um, a lot of those types of things, yes, we'll, we'll plan to get those listed on the, the store, uh, the digital store. That is when you're thinking about things like wall books, uh, that's going to be a later arriving thing uh, because our, our focus behind uh, the stores and actually our website for the new online store is not going to be Cowabunga Comics. It's going to name. Um, and it took us a long time to decide that. And the reason we decided is because we want to identify Cowabunga as a destination and the mail order as a service. We're a service provider and we that service of discounts for items. Um, it's the same people. It's the same location, uh, but two different, unique, um, distinct uh, things experiences so we will be things like trades hardcovers um the artist editions artifact editions those types of things um, some of the figures will definitely be listing those on the web store but when it comes to things like our back issue uh bins and our wall books um, it'll take us a little bit more time there because those are things that make our store a destination um, those are the kinds of things where we don't want to turn over that as quickly because it helps us keep our customers um, coming in. So it'd be a little bit of a process, but, and then to answer your question about how inventory reached, um, what we're actually going to do is we have a certain amount of shelf copies that we keep for the store off of new books, trades, whatever it be. And what we're going to do then is order obviously for the online store as well. And that excess inventory after the um, orders are, shipped and sent out that excess inventory will be allowed to to be for sale online and if our store runs out our store will actually have an account with our our web store our physical store will have an account with our web store where uh, we can go and place an order in our web store to get the books out of inventory and we get a pick list of what the store needs and then we can just move them out so maintain inventory that way so we're not just pulling books from the back and then we've got 10 listed online and we actually only have four and um, so that's kind of what we decided to do is try and make it as um, 
as possible, just like if we were ordering from a distributor. Yeah, but it's still not the same on there. It's just I just love going through long boxes in the dollar. I remember there used to be 25 cent bins or 50 cent bins and other dollar bins, just sitting there going through box after box, just flipping through and getting stuff. And you just you just can't get that experience online. Just like you can't right. really read a comic digitally. Well, if it makes you more excited or more frustrated, I guess either way, um, we are still growing and we actually leased um, some space in the door to us. So we actually have um, 60 long box, 60 long boxes of dollar books in there. That oh for gosh. special events or people that we know um, that want to go in what we call the garage, we have all of those dollar boxes in there as well. So we will need to add to that. You guys, come up. There will be even more dollar books to dig through if you would like. All right. So, I'm, okay, Jay, we're going to have to leave two days early. <laughs> I was going to say, because we're looking at probably eight to ten hours of long box diving to get through all that. <laughs> you guys got to divide and conquer. You got to start yeah. on opposite sides and work together. Well, that's what well, – in fact, the last past year, Dennis found more stuff for me than he did for himself. Yeah, I, I noticed that. Because he'd be yeah, – and, 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 and what yeah, would you get me? What would you get me? Well, I you, – you're just much more – you know, have a much lower number of – like you're not going to find an X-Men number one in dollar boxes, so, you know. <laughs> I could find a reprint. Yeah, I might find a reprint. You might find a reprint depending. <laughs> yep, yep. So – um, yeah, yeah. I still, I, I actually, I need to focus my collection. I've been kind, I, I got focused and then I got off of it, but I got to get that X Men run complete before they even. There's a hint of them in the movies, because for some reason, and I think we've actually had this discussion not online or anything like that. And Jay and I've had a discussion. I do not understand how characters in movies make the books go up because I don't think that increases the market of comic book buyers so it actually does it does it does yeah um the best example i have of that is prior to COVID, for my real job my you know 40 hour a week real job um i used to have to travel to new york city once a month and i made a routine out of going to a couple of comic stores out there and i would i would chat with one of the store owners and kind of see what his trends were and uh, what he basically told me is once the Marvel movies kicked up uh, being in New York City they his shop is probably about a half hour walk from Wall Street and he said a lot of those young investment guys that were working on Wall Street they would come over and they would buy those key issues price didn't matter to them because they were going to buy it and they were going to keep it and they knew it was going to go up in value because those um, characters are going to be my generation and the generation behind me, they're going to be the notable things that carry value moving forward. Um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked and surprised if we start to see things like some silver age appearances that right now are held at a high value by, you know, um, middle aged and, and older collectors because they remember when those kind of first came out and those characters hit. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if those are to wane in value and you start seeing bronze age, especially Marvel, um, start to become the real hot books in the next 10 to 20 years because that's what culturally people are aware of and what they know. So it, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's more people coming in to buy new issues of comics. It definitely means, though, that there are people out there looking for their favorite character, um, similar to sports cards. You may not like – I'm a hockey guy, so I'm sorry. I, I have to go with hockey analogies because I really ignore most every sport um, other than that right now. 
but um, maybe you're a big Wayne Gretzky fan, but you weren't a fan of the Oilers when Wayne Gretzky played for the Oilers, but you still wanted that Gretzky card for the Oilers. Same thing with comics. Okay, I can see that. So it's more of an investment. And I, I mean, it is a limited supply going back there. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, you know, I like the bronze, but uh, and I've actually been getting more bronze stuff, but I've actually been focusing more on like DC bronze, um, especially like the horse. Well, is it really horror? You know, like the House of Mystery, uh, House of Secrets, Ghost and things like that. I I don't know. For some reason, I've just gotten into that. And yeah. I really think the bronze age is underappreciated right now. But, you know, is I think that's where DC really shines. I think Marvel has the Silver Age. You know, DC kind of has the Bronze Age. You know, that's when Batman went from campy to, you know, kind of more of the Batman we know now. Um, you've got all that that DC stuff, which I think I I like to think of as like pre Vertigo. Sure. Like the House of Mystery and the things and stuff like that, and and Swamp right. Thing and all that. Yeah, and the it, Alan Moore Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the Marvel stuff. You know, you know, like stuff like Ghost Riders and stuff like that. From the from the Bronze Age, just doesn't seem as uh, I don't know impressive to me. I don't know because it just it just seems they really all their characters shined in the Silver Age. Yeah, it's kind of hit or miss. Um, I think what's going on with the Bronze Age Marvel stuff is that's just where um, the Bronze Age and then the I guess early modern age is where a lot of the movie content came from, and so that's what's driving that up. Obviously, Ultimate Fallout with Miles Morales has just been going bonkers, starting to stabilize now in price. But even things like Guardians of the Galaxy, that was really those movies were really based on the Abnett and Manning, you know, the the DNA um, Guardians books, not the stuff that came in the Silver Age or previous to that. Um, you know, so it, it's really it's about where the the movies are being centered from, and I think the the big thing with DC is I think their Silver Age is so strong because that's where a lot of the big villains came out of, like especially for Batman, you think of things like Scarecrow, um, you know, those kinds of things started to pop up and appear. You had Neil Adams at the tail end of the Silver Age and going into the Bronze Age. Um, and so I think because Marvel has so many current characters in the in the um, pop culture uh, sphere right now, the DC Bronze Age is largely undervalued and I think underappreciated. Whereas um, the DC Silver Age had for a long time been the really, really strong one, aside from some amazing Spider-Man issues that came out in the Silver Age. You know, kind of that early run of, of Spideys where you had your first Cravens, your first Gwen Stacy, stuff like that. Yeah. And it just still amazes me how FF was like so strong in the silver age up to about, oh, maybe, maybe all the double digits up to 99 or so. But, you know, mm-hmm. since then there's been, you know, what can you say is a memorable fantastic four issues after you got past really 52, honestly. Yeah, there's a few, but it's definitely not nearly as much as you know, basically, the first dozen, and then you get into 48, 49, 50, and then 52. So, so some good mm-hmm. stuff there and all that. So, but anyway, so, and so when did, stuff too, like, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead, because I was going to totally go in a different direction. <laughs> okay. I was just going to, like, FF is one that most people always question. Like, I don't, I don't understand why FF is you know, so special, why so many people hold it in such high regard. Um, and I think part of it is uh, you had to be there um, for some of it because I think the way that it was written was of the time. And I think um, it, like it's very funny. So James, um, for those that don't know, James is the other half of Cowbunga Comics. Um, he kind of likes Ben Grimm. I got into FF later and I kind of find Grimm to be a little annoying because it's like, good Lord, man, you are like Eeyore just built out of stone. 
Like just always, oh, she doesn't <laughs> like me. Oh, oh. And it's just, it's one of those things where I think if you were of the time and you were reading the books at the time, it really resonated and I, and the tone is there. Um, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't capture me quite as much. Um, I'm a huge Silver Surfer guy. Uh, I have a tattoo on my Lego Silver Surfer, so I'm pretty invested in that character. So obviously 48, 49, 50, those are huge books for me, the coming of Actus. Um, but yeah, so I, 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 kind of see both sides of the spectrum it's kind of interesting yeah i i, I kept looking at the 48 49 and 50 back in the, what the mid 90s late 90s and i wish i'd have pulled the trigger then so i yeah i, I may have missed my boat on those so but but anyway so have, have you always been a comic guy or did you get into it late <laughs> i got into it late um i i was a funnies guy let's let's go that um i grew up in the country uh, and yes, we do have country in southern central Wisconsin. Uh, I grew up in the woods, and uh, there were no comic book stores close to me. And my parents didn't really understand what comic book stores were. It wasn't a part of their life growing up. Um, they or it wasn't a part of mine. So my comics that I got were basically the Sunday funnies, the comic strips. Um, I have fond memories of my grandmother um, looking at Garfield and Foxtrot and stuff like that with me. And then when I got into grade school we had the scholastic book fairs and they would always have like the calvin and hobbs collections and the garfield collections far side um and so i got those i really got into those and it wasn't until i met my um, at the time girlfriend now wife and she and her brother really got me into kind of the idea of comic books um he was a huge fan of um, actual cartoons and movies and stuff like that and so um, my wife's like hey let's just go and check out a convention. Let's go check out some comic stores. And I was instantly hooked. Um, I think part of it was I was a kid who got into sports cards, baseball, basketball, and hockey, not so much with football. Um, but I really got into sports cards because I liked the, the mix of collectible. And I liked the fact like I would memorize stats on the back of cards. And my mom was always like, why do you have to memorize those? And I just said, I don't know, because I like it. <laughs> um, and so it was just something about that. But I got, I got away from the sports cards because overproduced when I was, you know, in the late nineties, um, and got away from it. So I just kind of ignored, um, those. And then when comic books came, I was like instantly hooked and I started really getting into them, both reading and kind of understanding the market, listening to a lot of podcasts. And then the opportunity came where the store Calabunga was up for sale essentially. And the the owner was like, well, Eric, you kind of understand technology and business. And, and James, you understand retailing. Um, you've sold at conventions for 20 plus years, obviously. And, and neither of us had ever met one another before all of that. Um, so it kind of it clicked along pretty quick for me. And now I now I live in it all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't get into it until college. I was the same. I grew up in the country and it's like comic store. How can you have a whole store that's just comics? <laughs> I don't think That's I saw my Garfield. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I don't think I saw my first comic store until I was twenty, nineteen, twenty. Same for me. Yeah. So well, they didn't really have comic stores when I was a kid. Never, they were still, you know, it was the by the time I was getting into comics, it was right at the cusp of the end of the indirect market and the start of the direct market. And then so, you know, and, and then they went, they went to talkies. <laughs> yes, they went to talkies. <laughs> uh, they invented dirt. Uh, that was novel. That was a novel thing. Yeah, that was a novel thing. I'm, I'm like you, Eric. I mean, I started out with the funny papers, and for me, it was Dick Tracy. I used to love – I followed and read Dick Tracy 
and not only just on the weekend, but also the daily black and white comics uh, strips. But no, yeah, yeah I mean, we, I we didn't I grew up on the week the daily paper. We just got the Sunday one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I grew up on the Sunday comics. Also, I loved them, and like yeah. Calvin and Hobbes. I still think I've got um, somewhere stashed away that uh, issue of the the local paper that had the last Calvin and Hobbes in it. Cause I, you knew it was coming and I saved it and everything. And I've got to I actually got the collected edition and, you know, I think I read through it every couple of years. So yeah, they just, yep. I don't even know. If, I haven't got the paper and I don't know how long, and I don't know how much the, the, the comics has even changed here over the past 10, 15 years. I was, uh, I actually just got back from a vacation to New Hampshire to see some family on Monday, and uh, my aunt and uncle, who we were visiting, they had a Sunday paper, and I was like, holy cow, there's actually, there's a comic section still, and they had Garfield, they had Foxtrot, they had Prince Valiant, and I just remember being a kid, and my well, the way my grandmother would do it is we would sit down together if I was over at their house, and we would start at the top and work our way to the bottom of the page, and I just always remember groaning when we got to Prince Valiant, because it was like... <laughs> I don't understand anything that's going on here. It's two panels and 4,000 words. Um, now I look at it and it's kind of like, okay, if I knew what happened like the previous three days, I, I can really start to get into it, but you really have to have that daily momentum. But yeah, we just, you know, Blondie and High and Lois and all of that stuff. So family circus. Uh, we had, when I was real little, I actually have a book here somewhere. But when I was really young, some of the first ones I remember is we actually had Felix the Cat um, was in our Sunday paper, which was awesome. I loved Felix. I had a question about what you were talking about. When you said when Cowabunga came up for sale, was it already called Cowabunga when you bought it? Yes. Yep. You kept the name. We did, I'm yeah. Um, curious about that name because Cowabunga is <laughs> a Southern California surfing term, and there's not a lot of surfing in rural Wisconsin. So. <laughs> yeah, actually, I got I to gotta stand up and grab something here quick. So Cowabunga came about um, more along the lines of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, in the, but to not infringe upon trademark, it had to not have the C. Um, so it got the K, right? and we got the Incredicow out of it. Incredicow, yes. And this one so, is a special Incredicow. I don't know if you can see it, but in gold on there is Kevin Eastman's signature. So we are officially... a Kevin Eastman approved Cowabunga. Nice. Nice. I didn't realize Cowabunga was, uh, I mean, they invented that or they trademarked that. No, I I mean, it was just one of those things where um, the previous owners wanted to use a cow because they're from Wisconsin. Cowabunga was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles term, but they were unsure of how deep into things legality wise they wanted to get being comics and Cowabunga. Um, And so, and, and with Nickelodeon owning, the rights to it, it was kind of like, well, we can't really go up against the Nickelodeon attorneys, so we might as well just play this one safe. Mm. So that's that's kind of where the the K came from, just to be safe. Right. Um, but yeah, the the store was up for sale, and and pretty much what we bought was the brand name, the subscriber list, and a limited inventory. Interesting. Yep. Nice. Okay. Nice. So you guys never, you guys didn't get to see our original location, did you? You've only been to the big one, right? Yeah, so that one is it's about 3,500 square feet of retail space. But before that, we had like 800 square feet of retail space, and uh, it was much much smaller. So, man, how'd you fit that in? Because I mean, and and I mean, it's going to sound like a plug and all that, but yeah. it's like I've never been to a place where it's like you've got it, 
you've got all my like geekdom nerd stuff there and it's got its own section and and the section that i'm like surprised and that i never see anywhere else is the dungeons and the classic dungeons and dragons modules yep i love that i mean that's one of the things it's like i just actually finished my getting the last module i needed for my dragon lance to get all of those about four months ago and I'm really looking to go back and get a lot of the some of the hard covers that I've missed or gone missing. It's like I need a I need a um not a fiend folio. What's the one that's got the the first edition that's got the uh, Cthulhu and um, oh what is that D- uh, demigods and deities and demigods? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, deities yeah, yeah. and demigods. Yeah, I I want to find that book where the first print where it's got um. Elric and Cthulhu in it before they got. I, uh, I kind of feel bad um, because I sold one of those on our eBay page during the COVID shutdown. Oh <laughs> uh, well, it's um, opportunity, opportunity, but but yeah, yeah, those, yeah. we'll get them again. Got that, it's, something we, got, it's something we look for. I mean, you've got that. You've got the miniatures. You got magazines. You got comics. You got the um, all those um, the artist editions and. Mm-hmm. We do a lot, pretty much anything pop culture. The two things that we do um, little to, to less of are T-shirts and Funko Pops. We do have Funko Pops, but we don't, you know, our store isn't have Funko Pops uh, because we, I don't know, we, we just, Funko Pops aren't something that speaks to James and I too much. So we, we satiate our customers who want them, but we don't go too deep on them. Uh, but yeah. yeah, we've got, so we have, New comics. We have obviously the back issues, the dollar books, the wall books. We have trades, hardcovers, the artist editions. Um, we have action figures. We have statues, busts. Um, we've got the uh, retro video games. We have mostly rock and metal vinyl uh, and traditionally classic rock and vinyl stuff, uh, cl- classic metal and rock vinyl. Uh, we do actually have some new vinyl for video game soundtracks that are coming out. So like Cyberpunk put out a vinyl. Um, so we've got that one, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 vinyl, um, some original screenplay vinyls that have come out and been repressed. We've got, we do posters, we do, um, we actually have kind of a horror section. So if you're, you know, Freddy, Jason, that kind of stuff, um, uh, we, we have those kind of figures. Uh, we do magic cards, Pokemon cards. We don't really do Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, it's not something that's really ever done well for us. Um, so yeah, we kind of try and hit... Most of pop culture. Uh, oh, D&D, obviously, we talked about Warhammer is a big thing for us as well, um, which is kind of our, what we would consider our top-of-the-line table gaming. We've got Star Wars X-Wing, so we have some people that do that. Um, yeah, so we, we try and cover a lot of bases, and we try and dedicate certain areas of the store to everything. Um, when you guys were last at the store in February, we didn't have our new back issue racks, right? Because I think, Jay, you made a comment about, oh, dang, we missed the back issue racks by like a month because of the shutdown. Yeah, we did. Um, yeah. yeah. So we now, when you guys walked in, there used to be the Marvel stuff was in the wooden boxes on the left and the DC stuff was on tables to the right. And where those tables on the right were is now three levels. So Marvel wraps around and then we've got DC. We added like 72, I think at this point, 72 long boxes of uh, priced back issues. So, and we're looking to add on the backside of that another 20 foot section of three levels to keep getting more out. So, yeah, God. it's fun. 
Jeez. I know, I know, I know. We may have to skip C2E2 altogether. <laughs> four days at, at Cowabunga next year. We'll just have a Cala, well, if, Calacon. If, you, if no C2E2, then there you go. You've got a replacement. Well, that's true. That's true. We know. <laughs> okay. Next thing. Yeah. As if comic shops didn't have enough to deal with, with the shutdown and COVID, DC, in the middle of all this, decided they're going to end their relationship with Diamond and seek other distribution methods, uh, mostly yeah. between UCS and Lunar. Yeah. And how how has that affected you? I know it's got to be more work on your part, but kind of what, what did that decision do to you and how have you tried to handle it and come to grips with it? Yeah, um, it was a little bit of a gut punch because uh, the timing was rough, right? We're in the middle of a shutdown and uh, the whole industry kind of had hit a pause button and DC decided they were going to make a big change and, and hit the resume button. And there was a lot of frustration, I think, um, industry-wide from retailers. And we kind of waffled day by day. You know, Monday we're frustrated and angry at, at the decision. And then Tuesday we've accepted it and we've gone okay. And then Wednesday we're like, son of a – now our ordering system won't work because we use Diamond's platform, their, their point-of-sale system, and, and right. it integrates with their ordering mechanisms and their pull list programs. And it's like, well, now that's shot. And so it's just kind of like this day-by-day roller coaster. Um, and it came out less than 12 hours after UCS and Lunar were announced that UCS was Midtown and Lunar was DCBS. And um, that sent shockwaves through the retailing community as well, because now you've taken people who were your competitors competition and you've given them keys to the castle right um, it would basically be like giving uber um all of the keys to yellow taxi in new york city is kind of what it felt like right they gave all the access to everything so there was some initial um concern about like well now our two biggest competitors are going to see our order numbers and they're going to know what everybody in the nation is ordering they're going to know how to attack us um and one of the one of these new distributors, um, their retail branch did start attacking early adopters of their um, of their services as a distributor. Nice blue moon. Um, <laughs> I have amaretto, which you can't see in my well, of my, course. My you know. I've got. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to disrupt. What? That's what? It's from um, High West. Utah, you know, I get whiskey from Mormons. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to disrupt. I mean, oh, no worries. Um, and and they started carpet bombing uh, their new account stores with ads for Midtown and and uh, Lunar for DCBS. So it's just a little bit of kind of a um, it was a rough patch, let's just say. But for us, uh, we found a system that works, and I have to say. We went with UCS, and I'll be honest with that. We went with UCS, and the was twofold. Um, first and foremost, we chose UCS because they have been managing Marvel's mail order subscription for a very long time. So they have been in a relationship with a large publisher as a service provider. So we felt confident that um, if there was an issue, DC could take them to task, and Midtown would know instinctively how to respond. Secondly, and probably more importantly, um, 
we knew that adding this branch of work onto Midtown would cause the need for hiring. And we figured that New York City and the surrounding area had a much larger opportunity for hiring resources than Fort Wayne, Indiana did. So we just kind of made the decision to say, we're going to go with UCS. We feel like they're in a better position. Um, neither one was really in a perfect or great position, but we felt of the two, UCS was better positioned to take on the workload. And I think after talking with our local retail competition, who are also mostly our friends, um, we were the only ones that went with UCS, and we are the only ones that have yet to have any issues with getting our product. So we feel validated that we made the right decision. That's not to say that Lunar hasn't stepped up its game because they have. Um, there haven't been as many problems as of late, but uh, for us, we went with UCS. And um, we found early on we had a couple of issues with, uh, like, instead of getting 12 of a variant, we got our A covers plus 12 of the 12 more A covers. And we were able to get an email right away and contact them. They fixed it um, within the next week. Our books were back, uh, or the ones that were missing were back. So um, they've been really good for us. I, I wouldn't say that their technology is their technology is newer than Diamonds because Diamond, I think, is still based on like I don't know punch cards. But um, <laughs> Diamond has a lot more functionality than UCS does at this point. So it's kind of one of wow. these, you know. Um, but no, we've got a system that works. UCS is okay. The, the people that are really affected the most, and we are to an extent, but the people who are affected the most by this are the people who kind of hit a certain, um, there's a minimum threshold of orders you have to do through Diamond to maintain an account. And it's always been a, a point of discussion to say they need to increase that dollar limit um, because you're encouraging, in, in effect, buying clubs. Um, so two, three people getting together and having an, enough of a minimum order to keep their diamond account open. Um, however, I'm happy to say that you could do that and I can still give you a better discount. Yay. Um, but nonetheless, uh, there, there's um, stores that do order close to the minimum threshold uh, and losing DC's business affects their total orders on a monthly basis. And it has put some of them under that minimum threshold and therefore their diamond account was closed. Um, so they lost access to Marvel image, everything, um, which you can say is either good or bad. You know, uh, I've heard two different sides to that story and I'm not going to weigh in either way, but that's an unintended consequence that has happened. Um, and it's rough. So, so you had a choice cause I remember hearing some stores didn't have a choice depending on where you were in the U S yeah. So, uh, when it first rolled out, and that was for, I think there was three weeks where DC had product that was basically second print or um, the, uh, like the Lolo Woods, those, that um, pocket of titles, the Joe Hill books, there we go, Hill House Comics. Mm -hmm. Those were the only ones that were coming out for those three weeks and then second prints and third prints. And they told us that if we want access to those books, we had to go with their new distributors. And if we were going to do that, if you were... Um, west of a certain point you had to go with uh lunar and if you were east of that point you had to go with ucs when they finally completely you know ripped the band-aid and we're going back to full production they said you have a choice um we did create an account with both because we weren't sure we thought we'll start with one and if we need to we at least have everything taken care of and we can jump to the other but thankfully we haven't had to do that uh so yeah but we did when we jumped in we had the choice 
Okay. So I do I do have one question, and you can answer this as, as ambiguously as you want. Do you have to handcraft your spreadsheet for the orders every month, or do you have an automated automated way of doing that? <laughs> Make the two. It's a mix of the two. Um, okay. I owe I a massive debt of gratitude to John Mayo, um, comic book page John Mayo. He built a Python program that handles the creation of that spreadsheet. However, there are um, certain input files that I have to prep each month that um, have like price overrides, discount overrides, bundles, stuff like that. I have to manually put those together, but then the the script that he built um, runs and saves me God, hours and hours of time um, to put it together and actually make that single spreadsheet. So um, I owe, like I said, a, a huge debt of gratitude to John for doing that for me. Um, but yeah, so I have that. And then the cool thing is with the website, um, the, the company that's been working on that, they've actually created a little bit of a script add-in um, process that runs to create that spreadsheet that also gets out basically a big JSON file that gets uploaded um, into our website. So I don't have to go through any extra steps or processes. I can just generate it like I normally do, and the website automatically gets fed the information, and then it goes out and grabs the images and applies them where they need to be. Yeah, I just love that spreadsheet, and I can just appreciate being a spreadsheet guy. I can just appreciate what has to go into making that. And I think we just actually got our new one today. In fact, yeah, probably about twelve thirty this morning. I, think, I was going to uh, say I was. <laughs> I noticed the timestamp on that thing. It was like twelve thirty a.m. Yeah, never does go that, on vacation. That, that's what I can say. Is <laughs> that Python? That Python procedure? Does it, it use that? Do you use that to create the weekly FOC list as well, or is that? Nope, that one I different. do fully manually. Wow. Wow. Oh, that can be long. Some, you know, actually, why is some weeks the FOC large? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. I guess some. They don't evenly distribute to books, but it just seems like some right. weeks you get a really short FOC, and then some weeks you get just a long one where it's almost like it's, yep. it feels like it's almost the whole previews itself. Yeah, so the short ones are going to be ones that are prepping for a fifth week, a fifth ah. Wednesday of the month, because those are usually like your annuals or your skip weeks for your smaller publisher. So that's when it gets shorter. When it gets longer uh, is generally that – March through September time frame when you have a lot of new launches. Uh, most of the time they don't launch stuff late in the fall or into the early winter. So uh, it's usually, you know, Marvel will have 15, 20 covers for an issue one and they spread that across three issue ones. Um, so that can make it go long. And then additionally, um, you see towards the beginning of the year, a lot of your prestige and premiere type collected editions get solicited early because those take six to eight months to get the um, orders in and then printed because of the hard covers, the bindings, and they try and deliver those in a late October through early December time frame, whether it's for Christmas gifts or things like that. That's typically when people mm -hmm. tend to buy those higher priced ones. So that's why you see kind of those peaks and valleys. Um, the nice thing is with the FOC, it is manual, but uh, because I have all of the previous order forms, it's just some V lookups and a few things like that where I pull in and match on item codes. And the only things that I have to manually really do any work on are um, second, third, fourth printings. And then if they add FOC variants, then I have to just put the key in the prices on those. So it, it's, it's like a lot. It's less than an hour on a Friday, generally, if I can just sit down and do it. Okay. So, but the cool so, thing is with the new web site. Uh -huh. I won't have to do nearly as much of that because the site will already have the information in it. <laughs> so I don't have to nice. go and match and look stuff up. 
Oh, so so we could have an online way to put in our orders for previews, or is that what you're saying? Is that what you're hinting at? Yep. yep. Oh, it will be it will be monthly pre-orders, FOC, in stock, Cowbunga exclusives. Wow. You will be able to put in order for all of those at the same time, and it will intelligently know what to charge, when to charge, and how to charge. Um, we're making a slight change to the way we handle shipping. So as of right now, you pay ahead for your shipping. And what we're going to do is you'll pay ahead for your books like you normally would. Um, but your shipping, you'll get charged when the box ships. And what that does is it allows those people who go with weekly shipping but order a minimum amount of items, they're not going to be charged for four weeks of shipping if they're only getting two weeks of books. Um, and vice versa, for someone who gets their books monthly, on the second week, if they're like, man, I got a lot of stuff I really want to read or I'm going on vacation, they can just hit the ship now and it, it'll charge them for a drop ship, same price as a regular ship, and that box will get sent. Oh, nice. You'll also Very have nice. a couple wow. other I, options. And nobody, it, it sounds like nobody – I don't think anybody offers anything like that. That sounds totally unique. You'll have a couple other options too. So if you're shopping our in-stock inventory and say you're already a subscriber and you already get a, a – a box on a cadence, whether it's, you know, monthly, twice monthly, whatever, um, you can go through and order whatever you want out of our in-stock inventory. And rather than having to pay for shipping and get that sent, you can select to not pay for shipping and just have it sent with your next box of books on your cadence. Nice. Very nice. So it, sound, it sounds like you've put some thought into this. Uh, yeah. Well, five and a half years. Or you've listened to customers. Five and a half years. Uh, five and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's been, um, it has been a lot of, of, uh, lot of work, a lot of requirements gathering, a lot of thinking. Um, and it, it's kind of cool. And also the part that makes it take so long is that really comic book retailing in general breaks every conventional rule of retailing. And furthermore, breaks every rule of e-commerce. Um, so there's no platform out there that actually does what we need it to do. Um, so it's scratch development. It's literally our system being designed for us. Um, and it's actually the engineering firm that's doing the work. It's actually led to them uh, publishing a few articles about how it's okay to make the e-commerce um, norms and make the site work. So it's been kind of cool for everyone involved. Um, and I think that the, the most validating thing about this is that the engineering firm that we have working on it is just as committed to it as I am. It's not just a paycheck for them. Um, they're a smaller boutique firm, and they look at this as really their big mark on e-commerce industry to basically say, like, look at what we're creating. So they're invested in it as heavily as we are, which is really, really it's, – it's fun. It's very fun. Oh, sounds great. So kind of playing on that, you were mentioning, you know, some timing and things. Do you, I was listening to another podcast a few, man, I can't remember if it was a few weeks ago or a few months ago, but anyway, but they were talking about a, there's like a cadence in the industry. Like there's certain months when you want to do trade paperbacks, certain months when you want to do mini series, certain months when you want to launch number ones or times of the year and everything like that. I mean, does that come, do you, do you see that coming about? You know, from customer um, 
purchases or what the customer behavior, or is that more, you know, that's what the the uh, publishers think, and so that's when they put out stuff, and then the customers buy it, or uh, is it just total no, hogwash? It's, it's it's validated based on consumer spending habits. Um, the most obvious one is February. Commerce is dead in February because everybody's paying off the bills from Christmas. So um, that's one month where pretty much commerce dries up, which is often why you'll see um, if you're into buying televisions, generally Black Friday is not the best time to buy a TV. Super Bowl Sunday is the best time to buy a TV because it's in the middle of that dead time and everybody wants to watch the Super Bowl. Um, so that's February is the worst time to launch anything. If you're a creator, um, as far as really any content goes, you don't see a lot of movie releases in February. You don't see a lot of book releases in February. Um, it, it's just a bad month, and retail is always down. That's usually when we try and do a back-issue sale to get people in and spending some money um, because that's when the publishers aren't putting out as much as well. So you've got that. Um, and then typically the summertime is when money moves the most because that's when people are vacationing. That's also when your blockbuster movies tend to come out as kind of that May through August time frame, typically. And so they'll stagger and put out their book to match their movie launches. I mean, we're seeing like the Wonder Woman 84 covers are being delayed repeatedly by DC as they're delaying the Wonder Woman 84 movie. You see um, Black Widow was delayed, and then finally Marvel just said, we've just got, we've got to put this book out, even though Black Widow is being delayed. So um, they try and cadence things like that, and it is repeatable. And you'll see, like I said, your big prestige hardcovers, um, your really expensive stuff. There's a lot of omnibus coming out from September through the middle of December. There's a ton of them because they're kind of a big Christmas present for people. Um, you know, if someone can't afford the $15,000 Amazing Fantasy 15, but they can afford the $100 Amazing Fantasy, you know, one through 15 um, omnibus for 100 bucks, they're going to do that. And, and they're going to say, well, I couldn't get you the, the one, but hey, I got you this one. So yeah, it's it's validated on spending patterns. Um, and that's that's kind of kind of the way it goes in the industry well that that kind of explains something that had confused dennis and i because we used to, i don't know if you remember we used to do a previews once a month where we go through the previews catalog and we would notice like the december previews catalog which is for items released in february was nothing it was just nothing and we couldn't figure out why there was nothing there right yeah so and the other reason too um Publishers will amp up things during the summer months because of con season. So they'll do books that they can launch and have a con variant, whether it's Emerald City, Megacon, NYCC, C2E2. So you'll see a lot of launches that coincide. Um, release dates will coincide with conventions. So you'll have a Wednesday release, and then the convention will be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they'll have a con exclusive cover for that number one. So that's that's another big part of it too. Why right. the summer is really the the make the hay. Do you see? Because there's been some other just uh, publishers that have gone away from uh, Diamond as well. Alterna being one. I can't think of another off the top of my head. Do you think this may kind of become a trend? I mean, do you see foresee Marvel getting away from Diamond or any of the other Image or any of the other big publishers? Um, Image and Marvel both came out and staunchly said they stay with, they're sticking with Diamond. I don't think Marvel is inclined at all 
to make any sort of change after the fiasco they went trying to self-distribute. Um, so I, I think um, to tackle, I'm going to tackle half the question than the other half. So the first half, Marvel, um, I don't see Marvel and Image leaving Diamond. What I see is Marvel and Image challenging Diamond to do a better job um, because there are certain things that, for us, UCS is doing better. We're getting our shipments. Diamond we get on Tuesday for Wednesday on sale. UCS we get typically on Thursday for the following Tuesday. So there's a challenge point there. We have less damages with uh, UCS because UCS actually uses the boxes or a style of box that was similar to what Diamond used to use and shifted away from. Um, now we have thinner boxes from Diamond and they have more damages. Uh, and they're pain in the insert bad word here to tear down, but all that aside. So I think you're going to see the, the publishers challenging Diamond to step up to the plate and match the level of service. Now, to Diamond's credit, nobody else in the industry has the depth of product in the warehouses that they do. So they have their own inherent challenges. Um, but as for folks like Alterna, I think there's there's two two pieces we can use, maybe three. Alterna being one that's leaving that has left Diamond, and TKO, who never went to Diamond, um, with well, and Scout. Scout is not leaving Diamond, but they're um, also offering distribution through another group. I think it's Plan C. I don't know, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Um, but Alterna was in an interesting place. So Alterna titles were typically a buck fifty, and um, they were newsprint, and ultimately. They, they were not good movers in our store. I'm not saying the stories were bad or the art was bad. They just didn't move for us. Um, they didn't resonate with our readers. They didn't resonate with mail order either. And their discount that they offered through Diamond was very minimal. So you're taking um, – let's just use, for example, we'll just, we'll just talk about a Marvel book versus an alternative book. Um, so Marvel, let's just say the industry standard discount is 50% on a $3.99 book. So let's just say we're paying $2 for it is we get $2 profit for it um, unless we do a discount. So you have $2. If you're um, Alterna and it's a $1.50 book, they're giving us a 35% discount. So you've taken automatically, you're only you're, you're starting at less than half the price of the Marvel and then you're shrinking your discount down even smaller. So for us to move a copy of it, it almost doesn't pay the touch, right? The hand touch to move it, talk about it and whatnot. Um, and so that was the real struggle with Alterna was that it wasn't as profitable to put on the shelf. So not as many stores got it. And the cost of distributing through Diamond got to be a little more than what Alterna was really wanting to pay because for them, um, that's a lost cost. And so they've moved to a different distribution network and, um, for them, they're probably profiting more on their sales per issue, but I think that they've significantly lost um, sales because it's not a part of the diamond system, which means it's not getting aggregated into your other products, which means you're not paying your collated and, and reduced price subsidized shipping. Um, it's not part of the pull list system anymore that diamond has, and it's not part of previews. And so if people can't see it, can't order it, can't get a discount for it, it's really hard to move it. Right. Now, the flip side of that is TKO, who never went to Diamond. But with TKO, they have a model that they came out with and they've stuck to. You get your six issues in the the, um, the hard shell case, or, or right. the paper shell case, um, or you get the trade. And it, you get both drop same time, so you can either buy the set or you can buy the trade. And from day one, it's been, okay, you can buy it from retail 
retail price from our website or um, comic stores. You can get it from us. Here's your discount, and that's it. That's all there is to it. Um, but they also carry big names, Jeff Lemire, Garth Ennis. There are people who are going to sell books regardless. You could put them in the smallest, most obscure publisher that you've ever heard of, but if you put those names on it, you're going to sell books. So they went out with a different distribution model. They brought the names in and paid for it. Um, and I'm going to be honest, their, their product is great. Um, the products arrived to us. We've had one box that came damaged, and we got it replaced two days later. They, they had it in our store replaced two days later, wow. and they said, we can't do anything with the damaged ones. Um, it would be a waste of money for you to send them back to us. So if you have a location that you can donate them to, please do. So we did. We donated them to um, – there's a – well, Jay, you know there's the mental health um, institute my wife works at that yeah. has um, everyone from juveniles to adults that are inpatient. So we donated it there and just said, here, add this to the reading library. It wasn't uh, something that would set them off. We, we were very right. careful about that. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I mean, it was it, very simple and easy. So um, two different ways of looking at different products. I, I don't know what the long-term outlook is for Alterna. Um, I really have to give them a lot of props for trying what they did going with the newsprint, going with the lower price to entry. Um, I think that there was a lot of good that could come out of that. However, um, with the discounts that they offered and they didn't really have any big creator names, that was really where the downfall was. There wasn't enough of a hook for a retailer to say, oh, I can make equal money on this like I can with a Marvel or a DC or an image book. And there wasn't as big of a draw for um, consumers to say, oh, I know that creator. I want to read their stuff. Right. So, so yeah, so and uh, and maybe to dovetail a little bit on that, um, what about bad idea? Oh boy, <laughs> I've been I've been trying. Uh, I, you know, it's like Jay and I met through the whole Valiant thing. I'm a I'm a Valiant guy from back in '91. You know, my first Valiant was uh, I think Archer and Armstrong Zero, so I got right in at the Unity thing, and I got all the pre-Unity. I met most of my guys from CE2, E2, and all that that I'm friends with now, my comic buddies through Valiant and all that. So I love the relaunch. I love Dinesh and all that. But I just can't figure out this whole bad idea thing. <laughs> um, yeah, from the surface, it sounds like it's a bad idea. Uh, we've uh, It took us a little while to get to be able to talk with them, um, not – not it's not their problem it was just our schedules didn't overlap and uh actually thankfully covid happened so our schedules kind of cleared up and we could um so we will uh we we've got our paperwork signed and sent in so we will be able to offer bad idea product um it's a different model it's a very unique and different model um i did get the approval that i can go ahead and sell them through mail order originally they weren't going to allow that it was going to be physical in store only but i was i was granted the full um, go ahead. Uh, so that's great. Um, it, it's a different. It's a different setup. Um, what's the, what's the, the buying end, patterns? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just um, I'm just trying to. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, I don't know if they're trying to appeal to the collector, to the reader, or most stuff. I can sit there and figure out what their angle is. I can't figure out yeah. that idea's angle. See, on the surface, kind of with the early rhetoric they put out, it seemed like they were really gearing towards the people, not not gearing towards the people who want to get this cover so they can bag and board it and flip it on eBay. That they mm-hmm. were trying to appeal to the hardcore 
I want to buy a comic and read it and enjoy it. That seemed to be what they yeah. were doing. But if you want to do that, you're yeah. supposed to make it easy for them to get. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think their end game is that they want to make – they want to um, draw people into comic stores. That's their end game. Their end game is to increase foot traffic to comics. However, uh, in doing so and in ramping up their business, I think they conceived of ways for themselves to be able to remain profitable um, or break even as they go through these creation phases and maybe didn't look so much at the what's the cost to the industry. Uh, and by that, I mean offering to only 50 stores to start instead of the nearly 3,000 stores that are out there. Um, it wasn't like they just were going to offer to the 50 largest stores. It was just the first 50 stores. And that that is a little bit of a problem because um, that doesn't allow equal access to the product. So one of the things that they truly hate is speculator, and they hate the multiple variants, and they hate all of that. And I don't think they realize that by limiting their launches and their releases – all they were going to do was feed a speculator market. They weren't going to yes. get the readers that wanted to read the titles. All they were going to do was get that. But then you kind of got to stop and think, was that the mechanism they want to use to get their brand name out there? Did they want the speculator market to go crazy and for bad idea to pop up on Comic Book Invest, um, you know, CBSI, all of the sites where I was like, oh, my God, all these books are keys. I, I don't know. What we hear from them is that they don't like speculators. They want it to be a draw to the comic store. Their actions to start kind of seemed a little weird. COVID has changed all of that. They were not fully guaranteed that we're going to be in wave one of the launches, but we've been guaranteed that we will get the product that is in the wave one launch. So we may not get the first couple of number ones the day they come out, but we will be able to get those number ones um, as time goes forward. So, and, and the things that they're doing with printings and how they, um, they'll continue to make sure their stock and that it won't be a different cover. It will just on the inside, it will just, you know, the first printings will say first printings and the rest will say, you know, subsequent printing. Um, so there's some things that they're doing that I, I think are good. Um, it's going to be interesting and, and we won't know how it fully looks until the whole thing plays out. Um, but it was also kind of a weird thing to come up during you've got DC leaving, you've got diamond shutting down, you've got this obscure bad idea thing, which it said, it sounds like a bad idea. Maybe it won't be, I don't know, but we're going to go for it. We're going to give it a go. Um, Dinesh, Adam, um, they're people that we trust. They're industry people who have put out great products in the past. Um, uh, Adam has always been uh, a huge champion of the retail stores. He started as a retailer or working in a retail store, so he gets it. Um, so we have a lot of faith in them as people, and therefore we trust that they're going to come through on their end of the bargain. Um, but it's definitely going to be a weird and different road for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you talked about the speculators, and it sounds just – what was it? They had an ash can that came out like a few weeks ago, and that just seems to just ended up with the speculators. It's like I would have really loved to have got that, but there was no chance I was going to get that. I had a handful of people who are customers that all reached out and said, "Hey, did you get this?" And I, no, we we didn't. Um, we wished to God we would have, but we didn't. And I think that's a shame. I think that's a a, a real. Um, 
I, that's that's the risk you you run is how many people will that turn off? Um, even though bad idea is just starting, there's a lot of people that view bad idea as a continuance of that era of Valiant, and does not getting this first bad idea book kind of almost mean like you've cut the cord off of that Valiant stuff, and mm-hmm. you can't keep full run of the going forward with bad idea and you're missing stuff does that invalidate your valiant runs that you have so it's just kind of a weird really weird place to be agreed agreed <laughs> so. see if it's a bad idea i guess is the, the the long and short of it we'll end up seeing how it all plays out in the long run and um, <laughs> I, I also think that part of their goal is similar to aftershock um the idea to really be a multimedia company and use comics as your IP farm, um, test out your your potential properties and go from there. So we'll see. Maybe um, maybe they hit it and they're done and that's and they've got what they need and they go forward. Yeah, I mean, okay, to shift over to aftershock. I mean, I think that's what they initially was, yeah. but I mean, I mean, I've gotten a lot of their stuff, early stuff and everything like that. You know. Um, I've kind of backed off a bit on their on their more recent stuff because it seems to get a little bit repetitive for me, and it, it's and I'm I'm more of a, run, a a series guy, not the the mini series. I, you know, you get five issues of this and then you never have it again. So that's just mm-hmm. my mentality on the comics and everything like that. But um, I mean, is is Aftershock doing 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 well in the store or with the with readers and everything still? Yeah, yeah, they're doing. They've held very, very steady, um, and I think that's being bolstered now. It was, I think, uh, maybe a week or two weeks ago, they signed a an agreement with uh, Reeve Ghosh or Rive Ghosh, whatever the production company is, um, the group that they've done a number of TV shows. I think the biggest ones that I know of are uh, My Strange Addiction and Dog Whisperer with Caesar Milan, but they've done some other horror-type TV shows, but they've actually signed an agreement with a a media pr- a production company. Um, so that end game is coming to fruition. And one of the things that they're going to be putting out first is God country by Donny Cates. Um, so yeah, there's definitely um, some really good opportunity with aftershock. And there's been a lot of customers getting aftershock books um, and sticking with them. So, and I know like we're, I think we're the only group out there that offers an aftershock bundle. If you get all of them, um, you get a pretty good discount through us, and it's nice because their their um, their catalog is usually ten issues at most per month, so it's mm-hmm. fairly affordable. Um, you know, similar to a Valiant one, where you typical a typical Valiant one where you've got six to ten ongoing titles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I get I'm actually falling into like the Vault fan club right mm-hmm. now. I really love everything Vault's putting out, and they seem to be I don't know. Uh, Growing their issues out every month that they're putting right. out more and more. Um, you know them and oh, I just had the I had the company and I can't think of it now. Um, uh, Ahoy Vault Scout seem to be doing the, Ahoy, the best yeah. right now. Yeah, Ahoy uh, Ahoy hasn't had much lately. Um, I don't know if the the pandemic's kind of screwed up their printer or, or what's going on, but um, for for me, what I'm noticing with mail order, the big ones right now are uh, from the a calf, I guess the non-premier publishers. The big ones are Aftershock, Vault, Scout, um, and then I, you know, their premier publisher. But Boom continues to build steam 
month after month after month with their books. Hmm. So, so what do you recommend from Scout? I don't actually think I'm reading anything from Scout right now. Oh, um, I have to admit, I don't get a lot of comics because I spend all my time working on them. I get collected editions. Um, <laughs> all right, well, so so let's, let's transition. So actually, let me ask you that. Well, I got two questions now going. And yeah. they're totally non-related, but they're related in my head because they're comics. So I'm going to ask yeah. you first. Do you, do you ever get anybody that comes in with in, in a collection or something with bound comics? What, or what's your um, opinion on bound comics? So uh, have we ever had people come in with bound comics? I think we've gotten one bound volume of comics since we've had the store. And um, my view of it is you want to do it's your stuff um do i want to see an asm 129 bound uh no that will, that will <laughs> kind of hurt me somewhere deep down but if you want to get um you know like a pick a, a legends of the dark knight if you want to get that full run bound into hardcover volumes go for it there's tons of those out there they're at an affordable price i think they're usually anywhere from a buck 99 to 249 is about the most expensive you, you should see those books uh in good condition yeah by all means i i'm all all for it if it makes sense i strongly oppose the idea of um, custom binding high value keys just because it, it shreds the value of it and um i know some people say well the value to me is reading it think an epic collection pay 40 dollars and get your epic collection if that's what you want um because that you know things like your your first punisher or you know whatever book it's gonna be your uh FF48 for Silver Surfer Galactus. Um, yeah, it's just not a wise idea. But if it, ultimately, it's your book. If you want to do it, you do it. It may hurt me, but do what you want to do. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of titles that I think if if you want to do it, I think it's a, it's a great little piece um, to have. It's custom to what you want it to be, um, which is cool. I personally, I don't plan on doing any of that, uh, mostly because... Well, one, I have access to way more than I need. Um, and secondly, I kind of like the uniformity. Like, I keep looking over off screen. It's not that I'm being distracted. It's that I have all of my Marvel omnibus and epics are on my shelves that you can't see. And I just love the way they look. I love how uniform Marvel books are, how the dress is all the same. And um, so I like keeping that consistency. But I don't have any issue with I mean, it. Do- I mean, do, so you're sitting there talking about everything on your shelf right there. So do you have the floppy versions of them also? So you've double dipped? Some of them. Some of them I've triple dipped. Um, what have <laughs> I... I'm trying to think. I know there's one or two things that I've quadruple dipped. I have... Yeah, so I have Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, floppies. I have the Crisis on Infinite Earths first um, hardcover slipcase edition, which has the misprint. I have the Crisis on Infinite Earths trade paperback, and I have the Crisis on Infinite Earths Absolute or whatever the large size one is. So that's one that I have. Um, Why the Last Man I have in singles, trades, hardcovers, and omnibus. And Batman, um, Tim Sale, Jeff Loeb, I have all of those. The Long Halloween, Dark Victory. I have all of those in singles, trades, and the omnibus. So do I, I have favorites. <laughs> However, however, most of the time, um, if I get a collected uh, edition of something, I generally will get rid of my single issues of it. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I mean, it has to be something special that I'm going to keep. Um, so I have a few characters that are very uh, important to me. Um, obviously, oop, Nightwing, Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer. So those I will pretty much keep forever. Um, and then I have like things that don't that aren't going to be republished. So I have my DC versus Marvel single issues. I have my JLA Avengers single issues. I have the um, slipcase hardcover um, edition of JLA Avengers. I'll, I'll never get rid of that. Um, so things like that I will keep, but other things um, I won't. Uh, I'll just get rid of the single issues and uh, keep the trade hardcover. Because usually I use the single issues, well, typically, I would use the single issues to kind of my level of passion for something and if I like it enough I want to get the collected edition then I, I just like the content um, so most of my single issues are things I either don't have collected editions of yet or they're older books that uh, are more investment or, or valuable so oh, are, are you seeing people shift more to the trade weight and getting collected editions as opposed to getting the monthly floppies no, no, it's kind of a, a hit or miss. I'm actually starting to see more people doing what I'm doing, um, where they're they're getting the singles. If they like it enough that they want to get it and put it on a bookshelf, then they'll make a decision, do I get rid of the singles or do I keep them and I get the, the collected edition? So um, it's also – I've also started to see a lot of people who will want to – all the single issues of a, a specific creator – and then they'll also get the hardcover. So Donny Cates is a great example. I want all the Donny Cates single issues, but then I'm going to get the hardcovers of the Donny Cates Venom or the Donny Cates Thor or whatever it is so that I can put those on my shelf because that's like my favorite run ever. Um, and that's kind of how I am with Why the Last Man. That is my that's that's my favorite. My favorite run of all time so far. Um, I read it every year and... I, I love having those hardcovers on my shelf and the trades and the omnibus. And people are like, boy, you sure seem to like that series. And I, actually, it's the same thing three times over. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh yeah, that's one of my all-time yeah, favorites. I got the floppies. I don't, I don't have any of the collections. I got the floppies. I got them out when they came out on the shelf. I mean, my favorite of all time is Preacher. Oh God, I love Preacher. Yep. And I, I've got yep. the floppies. I've got a few of the trades. But oh, so yeah, I can totally appreciate that. So, kind of, so kind of getting on those lines. Oh, actually, I keep having two questions. I can't ever get down to one. So earlier, maybe about maybe about an hour ago, I think I remember hearing something about Cowabunga exclusives. Can yeah. you talk about that, or is that later? Yeah, uh, we've got a couple of exclusives that we've done. Um, so we had a Jimmy's Bastards number four, which was an aftershock book. Um, it's, it's Garth Ennis writing. Uh, Phil Hester did the exclusive cover for us, and Eric Gapster did the inking. Um, that was to coincide with our Garth Ennis in-store signing that we had. We actually had Garth Ennis, Phil Hester, and Eric Gapster were all there. And then because Garth was there, uh, we got the weirdest phone call, like just out of the blue on a Thursday. Picked up the phone, and um, here on the other line, uh, other end of the line, um, is this the comic store that's going to have Garth Ennis coming in in, uh, in a, like four days? And we were like... Uh, yeah, yeah. Is there anything that we can do? This is Brian as a if I crash the party and just hang out. Um, wow. Yeah. And wow. We could not hang up the phone quick enough so that we could call Diamond. And we're like, we need to overnight some books here. ASAP. <laughs> and so we, we were able to get, and that was right when the hardcover of um, 
the Dark Knight uh, Dark Knight Race Three when that whole thing came out with um, the, the Frank Miller Azarello written story in the hardcover. So we got a whole case of those. We got cases of other stuff, but it was uh, that was a pretty cool event to have those guys hanging out there. Um, so we've done that one. We did. Um, oh, my mind is going blank. Oh, we did a Bloodshot exclusive for the current ongoing Bloodshot series um, that Tim Seeley is writing, and it's actually Tim Seeley's art. We have um, a color version, a color virgin version of it, basically. And then um, I asked if we could get like a black and white, and it was kind of funny because the the Valiant folks were like, uh, "Well, I mean, do you want just like the lines?" And I said, "No, just send me the art. I'll." doctor up what i'm thinking and i'll send it back to you as like a prototype or a proof and uh, i sent it back to them and what i did was i don't know if you guys saw it it was the gray shade shot and then the the chest circle and his eyes i had those as bright red and i said we were thinking like this can we do a, a short run of this they're like um as long as tim's cool with it yeah so um tim signed off on it and uh unbeknownst to me they just took the file that I gave them, and that's what they printed. So, oh, nice. So, did you get credit? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get any credits, but <laughs> it ah. was uh, it was mine. <laughs> royalties, royalties. Then, right, I'm missing out. No, um, so, so that was cool. We have that one as well, and then we've got another upcoming one slated with uh, with um, Valiant coming up in uh, I believe it's going to be February. Can't talk about that one yet. That's fine. So, uh, if you do these exclusives, and it sounds like the covers and all that, do you get the original art? Uh, so for the ceiling one, it was digital, so we don't have that art. Um, ah. But for the uh, Jimmy's Bastards, yes, we do have the original art for that. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. So that's a requirement if you get a store exclusive, right? You get the original art. Uh, you got to pay for it. You pay ah. for them to do the art, and then you got to pay for the original art. Oh, double dip. Yeah, because um, the the page rate for the cover is usually. Um, it's not cheap depending on who it is, but it's n- it, it. the idea is they're pricing it as if they were selling the work and then selling the art so that, that they make their income. So um, with the next cover that we're doing, it may end up being two covers, which might be for the better because otherwise James and I will have a very heated wrestling match to figure out who's going to get the original art. Um, so. <laughs> oh, I thought, I thought y'all already, personal favorite of ours. <laughs> yeah, I thought y'all already did that for that uh, Jenny Frizen Wonder Woman y'all got. Uh, no, I got one. He got the next issue after that. Okay. Um, I've got that. It's it's a it's over there. I keep looking at that on the website. And then actually, for the Phil for the Phil Hester signing event, I can't get my finger. Was the Nightwing that Phil Hester did for me for that signing event? So. Oh, nice, yeah, nice. Yeah, I keep looking at Jenny Frizen's. Um, Wonder Woman, she's still got some covers up on uh, the uh, site yep. she uses to sell her stuff, and I'm like, I'm so Kate's tempted. comic I'm art so tempted. for anyone who's looking. Yeah, I keep telling my wife, it's like, maybe I want that for my birthday this year or something like that. You can't go wrong so, with it. It's uh, oh. it's beautiful. And uh, I think pretty much all the pieces except for the cover that I have are, you actually get two for the price yes. of one. Um, because she does the lines and then she does the graphite shading separately. But for the one, the cover that I got, um, it was all on one because she did it for an art exhibit. So it's in its art exhibit frame and it's just the shading on line work on it, but it's like double size compared to all the others. Cause the, most of the time it's, it's like a 14 by 10 or something is the size paper she uses. But the one mm-hmm. I have is it's big. So. Okay. So, um, 
I guess another store question. We keep asking you about store questions as opposed to just comics and everything. But I'm just curious to like, do collections just walk in, or do you actually go out and look for collections, or dig for collections, or uh, I'm just I'm just curious how that because I've I've seen I've been in the stores and you know somebody walks in they got a few comics it's from the 90s it's got a shiny cover and they think it's all worth something and all that <laughs> but but then you have these I guess these these collections of like some guy and he's got all like all this the Marvel Silver Age stuff and everything like that but he didn't know what they were and everything like that I mean is that is that active or did they just walk in both both. Um, actually, it happens in four ways. So, um, people do bring in collections. Usually weekly, we get a collection that walks in the door. Um, that's that's one way. People generally will call ahead. That's the the most common where they'll call ahead and say, "I've got some comics. Um, are you interested in buying them?" Uh, the third way is we will find a collection through talking with other people, um, whether it's friends that we have, family members, whatever it is. And then um, the fourth one is we will go out to certain locations and look for books and find them. Um, I don't want to give away all of our sources, but um, I will say that uh, today James and I spent two hours at one of our uh, local competitor stores and walked out with a short box full of things. So they can be found everywhere. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. When I was traveling a bit, Two or three years ago, I had a, I had a honey hole, so to speak, on one of my travels where they just, yep. they would, I don't know if it was auctions or they got stuff from thrift stores or something, but they just had boxes, long boxes and long boxes and long boxes and long, and there was stuff they just never had, hadn't even gone through. And sure. I would just go through it and I'd pull it up. It's like, what do you want for this? What do you want for this? What do you want for this? And they would just shoot out a number. It's like, okay. That's where I that's where I found my first and Jay's gonna get ill with me my first second print newsstand Batman 457 <laughs> that I now possess <laughs> because I found the second Batman second print 457 newsstand at a higher at a higher grade <laughs> someone's got to find them and you just got to share the love it's just how it works yeah yeah it's just but yeah so. That's gotta be. I don't know. What, what's the? What's the? And you don't have to get the details and everything, but or, or not too many. But it's like, what's the most awe-inspiring collection that's walked into the shop, or um, item, we, or maybe item. Um. Well, I mean, aside from an Action One, a Detective Twenty Seven, and an AF Fifteen, we've had. Pretty much most of the big ones come in. Um, we haven't had the first Joker. It's I don't Batman think we've had. The, we haven't had the first Robin. Um, but other than that, we've pretty much. I mean, we've had. I think at this point now, six Amazing Spider-Man ones come into the store. Um, we've had an FF one. We've had Giant Size multiple times. We've had X-Men one. Um, so, I mean, we've had a lot of the big ones. I would say probably the single most impressive collection that we had come in was um, a, we got it came with a few Amazing Spider-Mans, early Amazing Spider-Mans. Uh, it didn't come with a one, 
but it came with some single digits. But it was a there also was a straight run of Daredevil from one to forty seven. Um, there was a it also had a straight run of shoot what was the other Marvel title? We had, it had two Marvel straight runs. It had some Spideys, and it had um, it was just a ton of early Marvel stuff, and it was all in like eight five or better condition. Just incredible. I mean, just incredible books. Um, yeah. So I mean, like we've had a couple of those come in. Usually, though, we don't get um, we don't see those mega collections that come in with like you know, uh, straight runs of Silver Age DC, like 16 long boxes full of, you just don't see that. It's generally like, it t- tends to come in River Maid totes uh, when it's that kind of stuff. <laughs> and it's just hodgepodge. It's just whatever they grabbed off of the spinner rack at the 7-Eleven or 5 and Dime, you know, whatever it was. So, um, but yeah, we've had some good ones come in. Uh, oh, well, I think probably one of the other impressive ones that we got, um, complete other end of the spectrum um not so many of the like super high you know four five six seven hundred dollar books but we had uh, a collection that was 36 long boxes that came in and it was all moderns but the person was an adam hughes and an alex ross collector so all of the big hughes covers all of the catwomans all of the power girls i mean they were all there, all the ratio variants, everything. Um, so we had all of those, um, and he was a straight run collector for certain titles. So we had like all the Birds of Prey, every single issue, like nine eight grades. We had all of the, um, well, all of the Catwomans, um, especially the Hughes covered ones, all Star Wars books um, from Dark Horse, from the start of Dark Horse all the way through into the Marvel stuff. So I mean, like it was just straight runs bagged and boarded perfect condition tons of those ratio variants uh oh the supergirl uh the legion of superhero supergirl ratio uh one to low yeah the yep. low sh- yep. 25 uh, yeah i know which one you're talking about she's sitting on the, the adam hughes sitting yep. on the asteroid mm-hmm. that's like a thousand dollar book now in a nine eight or maybe even more now Ah, oh, that's there. a beautiful book. That's a beautiful <laughs> book. Did he, did he get a D&D collection that had a TMNT 1 in it? Yep. Yeah, we've had a number of TMNT 1s. I think we've had five or six uh, TMNT 1s, two first prints, and then some later prints. Um, yeah, we just got um, we just got a, a first appearance of Batgirl that came in in a collection with some other early DC books. Um, Ooh, what shape oh, is it there's one. there's one DC book that has uh, – oh, no, that hasn't eluded us. We got a detached Flash 123, which is the, the uh, Flash of Two Worlds, the first of the multiverse, um, but it was detached. We haven't had a complete copy of that come in yet. We've had a number of 181s come in, um, Hulk 181s, that is. We've had some ASM 129s. So, I mean, we've we've had a lot of big books come in. So, Wisconsin's a hotbed for comics? Yes, and it always has been because a lot of the Dell and Gold Key books are actually printed in Racine, which is about 45 minutes from us. So there's always been a really strong comics culture here. Um, now, Gold Key and uh, and the Classics Illustrated books obviously don't command the value that a Marvel and a DC does, but as a cultural thing, it's it's there. 
Um, what I do find really interesting is that we have a gentleman who sets up at conventions. He doesn't have a store, but he sets up at conventions, um, and he loves buying Dell and Gold Key books. And like we get them in all the time, and but you can't give Classics Illustrated's way out here. And so he'll buy them from us for a you know a really good price for him and. You know, we got something out of it, and he'll take them to Emerald City Comic Con, and people pay five to ten bucks a, a piece for them. We can't give them away out here, but it's because they're so limited out there. So it's really interesting how uh, how the economy works and how where things kind of originate from uh, and everything. So, and, and it's actually the same people that printed Dell and Gold Key um, when Dell and Gold Key kind of waned, they started printing Reader's Digest. So you're welcome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you get a few Turok Son of Stones, uh, whatever that first appearance is. Yeah. Uh, for Del yep. Four Color. I forget what it is now. Yep, we get some of those that come in. A um, lot of funny books. A lot of a um, lot of the different uh, kids' funny books. The the animal funnies that come in as well. Uh, and those just they don't have a, a significant value here um, mm-hmm. because there's just so many of them. So we get a lot of those too. Well, I guess I'm going to have to go through that part of the store next time I'm up there. Uh, most of the time, those we don't even put in the store because they don't sell, so remind me and we'll pull them out of the back for you. Okay, okay. I, I, there, I, I've got a soft spot for a few, Dale, so it's you know getting back to... When I was growing up, we didn't have a comic store, but I also got my uncle's comics, which are all from the 60s, so it was a bunch of Dale, um, yep. uh, a few DC and everything. It wasn't that much Marvel. But it's like, I mean, the Lassies, the Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. The, he, my uncle ended up getting like a lot of the the, the Dells that were on the uh, TV and the movie properties. Sure, sure. So, and they were in syndication in the 70s when I was growing up. So I remember watching them all that. So it all was tied together. So it was great and everything like that. So we also see a lot of um, a lot of people bring in the old Roy Rogers and all that kind of stuff too. So. Yeah, we get it all. Nice. Nice. So what else you got, Jay? I think, I don't know, we're keeping Eric up and everything like that. So. Oh, that's about it. Yeah, for, we, we've caught through most of what I put together for talking points. Um, oh, come on, you got to have some other questions. Come on, you've let me do all the talking. You've been sitting there not, drinking your beer just not. listening along. Well, you know. I know you got some. No, I don't really. Other than... Well, you kind of talked about it. I mean, but, you know, you got the big online presence coming up. Yeah. Kind of what else might be in the future for Cowabunga? It's like, what do you, what do you, look at, where do you hope to see Cowabunga five years from now, I guess? Yeah, sure. So, um, we've got some pretty big lofty goals. Uh, from the outset, we always said we wanted to make the store a destination. And, um, we, we know that there's limitations to uh, being too aggressive and being reckless, but uh, we've always had the desire to sort of emulate the mile-high model. Um, one of the things that may have people that are listening may have seen are uh, Dan Shaheen, I think is the guy's name, who does interviews on YouTube Live, and one of the things that he had done was he had interviewed some uh, comics retailers, and he had... Uh, three or four folks on. Uh, one of them was Chuck Rosansky from Mile High, and the others on the panel were uh, be- people that don't do back issues. 
And from day one, we knew that back issues were going to be really a backbone for us um, because they are typically a higher margin than your new comics. And um, once you own them, you own them and you own them in perpetuity forever. And you know what the story is, you know what the characters are, and they're not going away. Uh, Previews can put whatever they want in it, but if Diamond shuts down, you got no more product. So we we definitely uh, seek to continue to build out our uh, our backlog of books. Uh, I think we're going to become much more aggressive in our purchasing, uh, not regionally but nationally. Um, we're making plans to start actually traveling to farther edges of the U.S. to acquire collections. Um, you'll also see us vending at larger. Uh, shows i mean we've we've done wizard shows um this was going to be our this next year will be our first c2e2 we're planning on on actually vending there potentially um (laughs) we'll see we'll see um there's there's no guarantees there chicago is very weird because of their labor unions and the the cost you have to go into for that so we're on the fence but um we actually had paid for our booth for heroes con last year and that was canceled um, we do have designs to go to Emerald City, to Megacon, and to um, some conventions up in Minneapolis. So in five years, I think we're going to be a more regular player on the national con circuit, the large concert. Um, we have designs on continuing to to build out the mail order service, and um, we do have our eyes on some additional property um, that we can either rent or accumulate or, or purchase um, to allow us more space current facility is 4,500 square feet we've already leased out an additional you know 150 square feet next to us we're in discussions to get another almost thousand square feet um just on the adjacent building so we're we're expanding pretty rapidly and i think we're going to get to a point where we want to just have a singular facility that can handle all of that in one um so whether it's a warehouse type feel or, or something like that um and I think we want to assert ourselves on a national scale um, more than what we do now. So right now, it's pretty much all word of mouth marketing. Um, you know, it's it's podcasts. It's uh, you know, basically word of mouth. You know, friends telling friends like, hey, check out Cowabunga. And we want to be um, kind of one of those household names where we're tossed around with the Midtowns, the DCBSs, the Lone Stars, the Mile Highs. Um, we want to be up there. So there's there's a lot of aggressive plans, but uh, we're also taking realistic bites at them. We're not just going to go, you know, headlong into a crazy, uh, a crazy decision. Um, what, it kind of ties in how we, we pay for our comics. So a lot of stores will leverage credit when they buy their comics and they will basically use two weeks ago sales to pay for, you know, the comics that they have. Um, we've never really aligned to that. We prefer to just pay up front for it, so we have it. It's ours. It's fixed, and we're going to take the same approach as we grow. Uh, we already have additional resources kind of on standby that are interested in working for us, and when our volume and our scale hits a certain point where we need to add people, whether it's mail order or processing collections, whatever it is, um, they're there waiting for their chance. Uh, so we have that uh, in going for us as well, and um I think the other thing, too, is we're, we're not going to go crazy into the exclusives like a Scorpion Comics where they're doing two, three, four covers from different artists per week. That's not a game that we want to get into per se, but we do have a few publishers that we really um, 
value the commitment they've made to us. Valiant being one of them. Valiant from day one has been um, a massive supporter of us. Um, they want to help us promote our website. They want to help us uh, promote our site. And they provide us opportunities to do exclusive covers for them um, that work well for us and our client base. So we will continue to do that as well, maybe expand a little bit more, but we're not going to go too too crazy and deep into that. So I, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of where, where we as a business see ourselves wanting to push in the next few years. That sounds very aggressive. Great. It's, uh, it is aggressive, but, you know, we started with um, – 12, 1300 square feet of retail space. And, um, you know, in six and a half years, we have, I mean, our, our sales are up a massive, massive amount by factors of 10 um, from where they were when we first bought the business. Our, um, our square footage has quadrupled since we started. Um, so we've been successful at, at making, Aggressive plays calculated, I guess, is the, the best way I could say it. You know, everything that we do is not just an off-the-cuff, but we want to push. We want to push ourselves to be the best and, and do the best that we can um, and still remain humble. I'll be honest. There's, I make mistakes all the time. Um, there's, there's little hiccups here and there with mail-order stuff, but um, the thing that's most important to us is we resolve it as quickly as possible and make sure that whatever the issue is, we've mitigated it and we've taken it on um, – you know, so if something arrives damaged, we're going to get you the right copy. If I don't have it in-house, I'm going to go get it for you because I made the commitment to give it to you. And and that's just kind of the way we view business. Um, I don't know if it's an upper Midwestern thing or what it is, but, uh, you know, you've put your faith in us and I want to return that to you. So we're going to use that as our guiding post. Very good. There you go. Great. So if somebody wants to become a Calabunga mail order customer, they would send you an email that's probably the best way. Uh, it's Eric, E-R-I-T, at CowabungaComics.com. Hey, look at that. They've already got it in the, the chat. Um, yep, so that's the best way. Uh, the other option is, if uh, that's too long of an email to remember, uh, look us up on Google. You can give us a call in the store, and they are more than able to uh, take your number if, if I'm not there and make sure that I get it and we can get in touch with you. Um, there's some options out there to get on our mailing list um, for the monthly pre-order catalog and the weekly FOC. And uh, I don't know, should I should I spill the beans of what the new web URL is going to be? Should this be the the first place it gets announced? That, or you can just you got your own you got your own podcast. Do you want to like steal your thunder from that? Um, it's going to be deepdiscountcomics.com. 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 So that will be the new website when it's up and live. Um, we're going to hopefully be hitting beta testing this weekend. So fingers crossed in the next couple of weeks, it is 100% go time. Um, but yeah, nice. so those are the different ways you can get a hold of us. I guess, did I spell out, did I spell out right? Yep. Deep discount com- there you go. All right. Uh, yep. So, so we'll be able to start ordering in about, you know, you, you know, beta usually lasts about three or four days, and we're good to go, right? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, it'll be, it's going to be really exciting. Um, we're gonna, you know, start off with obviously the monthly pre-orders and the active FOC stuff, and we'll be throwing in um, in-stock items as rapidly as we can. We actually hired on a new guy who is going to be helping us um, get that inventory built out online. So we're we're going to be 
continuing our, our path of growth and, and really working. So. Oh, sounds exciting. So uh, maybe you can make eventually make this your 60-hour-a-week job? <laughs> I think it's already my 60-hour week job. Maybe I can reduce my working week from 100 to 60 hours. Um, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where uh, we hear a lot of people who've been doing comics for a long time, and they, they get really disgruntled about it. And they start to dislike the, the whole genre, the whole thing. And for James and I, I think we've done a really good job of trying to keep it in check. We've never actually made this our our main bread and butter. And I think that really helps because um, mm-hmm. we have our regular jobs that pay us. And this is really just a hobby um, that and a passion project. And we can pour as much in as we, we want. Um, but at the end of the day, our, our houses are still stable. Our families are still fine. Um, and I think that that's, that's what really separates it for us. So I don't know if it'll ever just become my full time. I, I, I don't know if I could do that. Um, and I have to... I just have to throw this out here. Um, anyone that does this kind of stuff knows that you can't do it without incredibly supportive and understanding. Maybe not always understanding, but uh, accepting uh, spouse or, or significant other. Right. Um, both James and I are blessed with wives who um, understand that we have a problem, and they they would rather us have our problem outside of the house and with another safe person than uh, <laughs> than just be problematic <laughs> at home. So. Um, we're very lucky. We're very blessed, and uh, we're ha- we're really blessed to have the customers that we do. You guys are phenomenal. Um, you were probably on the earlier end of our customers, um, and I just I appreciate you guys being champions of us. Um, that means that that means the world. That tells us that we're doing something right. So, uh, for those of you that are customers out there, thank you. For those that aren't, you can still leverage us to look at what's out there for FOCs. I have. I send the FOC out through our mail program to three times the amount of people that I have that are customers. It's a resource. Use it as a resource. I'm doing the work the same way either way. You might as well leverage it. Um, and if there's ever a time where you, you miss a book or you can't get it, always feel free to reach out. The worst I can tell you is I don't have it. The best I can say is it's in the mail tomorrow. Nice. Great. Yes. No, no we appreciate it. Yeah. And, and then, uh, I guess I, I just have to get a shout out. I don't mean I don't know him or anything, but I think I first heard about Cowabunga from uh, Comics for Fun and Profit. So that's a yeah, that's a fun pod podcast I listen to every Saturday and everything like that. And I think that's where I first heard about Cowabunga. And I think that's where I got the email. And when I first sent the email, and I man, that might have been a year and a half, two years ago now. Uh, at least it might be longer. Yeah, I was gonna say I can actually go back in here and tell you when your first book shipped. <laughs> oh ho! Oh. The data is at the fingertips. It is just a couple of filters away, and I'll be very happy when I don't have to filter it in a series of spreadsheets. Um, your four, first books that arrived in the store were March fourth, twenty eighteen. There you go. Oh, it's been it has been more than two years. Yeah. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. Exactly. Exactly. Well, hopefully <laughs> we get a C two E two. If not, we'll make our own little con and. Uh, I always have to ask Jay, how do you pronounce it? Oconomowoc? Oconomowoc. The five O's. Did did, did James tell you the story of how, or the the legend of how it got its name? No. I don't know if I've heard that. Okay, it's it's not 100% politically correct, so excuse it for its time period that it came from. 
All right. So the story is that um, a settler had captured an Indian, a Native American, and was walking him along. Uh, you know, he's riding his horse, and the Indian's kind of being drug along behind him, so to speak, or, or walking along. And uh, it was dry. It was hot, like a typical Wisconsin summer can get in the middle, just kind of crappy and no rain. And uh, the Indian at one point just dropped to his knees and said, Ah, kind of a walk. <laughs> and that was our name. <laughs> I don't think that's true, but that's the legend that we hear. And a lot of that dovetails in with the fact that everything around us is indigenous names from Oconomowoc to Waukesha. Um, you name wow. it, we've got them all. Sounds good. Great. Great. Well, Eric, we can't thank you enough for taking oh, time this was out fun. I'm, I enjoyed this greatly. So anytime, uh, anytime you want me to, to kill some time with you guys, I'm more than happy to be the rest. Oh, we'll be glad to. <laughs> and hopefully at some point, I know you guys have little time, but um, your own podcast, the Cowcast, is now yes. coming out through the Nerdy Legion Network. So yep. uh, if you're looking out at the website, you'll see Cowcast in the future. So we look forward to that. Yes, and I have I, – I apologize to Martin. We've started getting stuff transitioned over, and we hit a, a – stopping point and then with the website i've completely lost it so oh, wow. we will be fully on the nerdy legion platform um we just decided we wanted to be with a a group of of other strong podcasts that we kind of align with both ideologically um just the way that the podcasts are run and to uh provide a more stable platform than what we have currently so yeah Very we're cool. really excited about it okay well, we look forward to hearing seeing that pretty soon Anyway, well, that's all I had. All right. Well, sign us out, Jay, because I've okay, had a well, little bit w- too much whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> you've been watching and listening to Best of the Rest. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can tweet the podcast at BOTR Comics. You can reach me at Jay Forgets. And I'm at Oot Inger. And I will also put Eric's email and the new uh, website in the show notes when I put this out publishes out on podcasts so yeah but the website might not be there for a few weeks well i understand but you know pardon you our just, dust you can just yeah. keep looking until I get you can bookmark it and just check it every <laughs> hour that's right <laughs> exactly yeah yeah just set a little procedure to run and do a refresh <laughs> <laughs> so, nice thanks everyone and good evening